0: Just a heads up, this episode of Place and Sound contains profanity.
1: What does Chicago mean to you? Chicago to me means fight. It means tough. It means love. Tough love. It's a lot of stuff going on here, but without that tough love, a lot of people won't have the character that they have. We got a lot of characters out here, for good or for bad, you know? How can I put it, man? It is a city that will break you down, and if you can rebuild yourself and overcome the isms of Chicago, you can be a great person anywhere.
0: Hey, it's Anthony Valdez you're listening to Episode 3 of Place in Sound, where we're exploring the musical DNA of Chicago. So far, we've gone through the Windy City's early days as a music incubator of jazz, blues, gospel, and soul as well as looking at how problems of violence and corruption have shaped life for people living there. In this episode, we're looking at Chicago's music scene in the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s, exploring how house, juke, indie rock, and hip hop helped lay the groundwork for the vibrant scene we see today. Now, if Chicago has one sound it can claim as entirely its own, it's not jazz, blues, or soul, it's house music.
2: So-called house music was first made in the creators' houses, but it was also performed at clubs called the Warehouse and Powerhouse. However it got its name, it's one of the hottest things going.
0: That's a 1986 clip from Chicago's ABC7 News. Born out of the disco craze of the 1970s, early house is characterized by its mechanical four on the four beat, repetitive drum machine rhythms, and minimal but soulful singing
3: things inside my soul they make me lose control it goes on and on
0: that's jesse saunders 1984 record on and on widely considered the first house hit pioneered by djs like chippy e and steve hurley and spun into a full-blown phenomenon by folks like frankie knuckles house soon took root in cities like detroit new york and london who all developed their own variations of the sound before going global. Today, you can find a club specializing in house music in any major city in the world. Here's a 1986 classic from Steve Silk Hurley titled Jack Your Body. It's hard to overstate exactly how big house music was in Chicago in the 80s and 90s.
4: My name is Arthur Turnbull, and I am the lead voice of the Music Snobs podcast.
0: Arthur was born in Chicago, and he's lived here for the last 22 years. But between the ages of eight and 28, he lived in the Bay Area. He recalls how, in the late 80s, the hip hop he was listening to on the West Coast hadn't yet made it to Chicago.
4: Coming back, you know, in the summers, being influenced by different types of music growing up in California, and being out here at that age, What I didn't realize was that Chicago wasn't about hip hop. Chicago was about house music. And I remember my cousin took me to a house party. I mean, I really just couldn't hang. Basically, I had no idea what was happening. And it hit me so hard because, you know, at that point, 88, this is like the golden age of rap music. I had Boogie Down in my tape deck. EPMD just came out. Eric B. and Rakim had their second album out. And it was fundamentally lost on these people.
0: That was Farley Jackmaster Funk's 1986 record, Love Can't Turn Around which was the first house song to make it on the U.K. singles chart. At the same time, house music was directly influencing the evolution of hip-hop.
4: What I also learned later was that house music, Chicago music, directly influenced hip-hop. The first so-called house record that I had, like, heard thinking, oh, that's house music, was Girl, I'll House You, off Straight Off the Jungle from the Jungle Brothers. Check this out. Girl, house but that was nowhere close to what house music was and they were like saying certain expressions wrong house your body house your body no it's jackie body bad
0: influence continues today just listen to how mr finger's 1985 classic mystery of love in barbara tucker's 1994 song beautiful people are sampled on kanye west's 2016 track fade
2: Right I feel it.
0: DJ Sneak is a legendary Chicago DJ and producer who emerged in the early 90s during the city's second wave of house music, alongside folks like Paul Johnson and Kashmir. Moving to Chicago from Puerto Rico at the age of 13, when he could barely speak English, Sneak gravitated to dance music, in part because it was largely instrumental. And as he came of age, he began DJing himself.
3: Chicago in the 90s was a discovery period for everybody. Mm -hmm. Everybody was discovering what you were able to accomplish or do musically in a city that's like filled with a lot of people who love to do the same thing. We were all pushing towards the music, Mm -hmm. and music was the first thing. When a record came out, you got so inspired, you went to the studio and you wanted to make a record. Yeah, yeah. And that was the bug with Chicago. It was like, you're it. Check out DJ
0: Sneak's 1993 track, Orchid. During this time, Frankie Knuckles took a young DJ Sneak under his wing. Sneak breaks down what made Knuckles the godfather of house music.
3: Oh, Frankie. Frankie was uh, he was a beautiful man. Yeah, I might start crying because that was my boy. Chicago has some incredible producers and visionaries. Frankie was a visionary. Frankie was somebody who was educated in Chicago, but also in New York with Larry LeVan and all that stuff too. So he had gotten a taste of what it was to be a DJ from outside your city.
0: That's Frankie Knuckles' influential track, The Whistle Song. House music has spawned a number of waves and subgenres, but none are as distinctly and exclusively Chicago as the closely related styles known as juke and footwork, which came to life in the late 90s and early 2000s.
1: I am DJ Spin, Tech Life Records, Tech Life Crew, global DJs, producers, dancers, influencers of culture.
0: DJ Spin was born and raised in the south suburbs of Chicago. And alongside his best friend and mentor, the late DJ Rashad, he's one of the foremost pioneers of Chicago's juke and footwork scene. Growing up, just down the street from Markham Roller Rink, where he still has his studio in his mom's basement, Spin remembers the music he heard as a kid.
1: Back then, of course, a lot of JBs, James Brown, was definitely, you know, running the skating rink. But once the skating was done, They had a disco to the side, a little disco that was still around from the 70s. And they turned that into basically the little party spot for the kids to go into. So we escaped for a little bit, probably 30 minutes, 40 minutes, then they turned on that disco music. And man, it was basically, you go in there, you'll hear some old school house at first.
0: Here's No Way Back by Adonis.
1: No way back to play, boom, 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 boom. And everybody started running in there. We started corralling up and getting everybody ready. You know, We didn't know what we was doing at the time. We was just copying the older kids, you know? Mm-hmm. It was people just jack dancing and stuff like that.
0: It was that same roller rink where Spin and Rashad would play their earliest shows and introduce the juke sound. Now
1: shake, now bounce, now pop,
3: now drop.
0: That was Jukedat, Jukedat by Gantman and Rashad. Spin explains how the second wave house producers like Paul Johnson, DJ Sneak, and Kashmir, and the more raw and explicit sounds of Ghetto House started the evolution that he and Rashad continued into the early 2000s. He specifically remembers the impact of Kashmir's 1992 song, Percolator.
1: I just remember that when I heard the percolator, it was unlike any other song I ever heard. It was just it's the sounds. The, the voice, it's time for the percolator. It's time, it's time for the percolator. That sound right there just led you, okay, what are going to say next? What is he going to say? And it never says anything else. <laughs> but it's time for the percolator. And we like, wow. And from the voice to the popping sound, I don't know where that sound came from. It was just hypnotizing
0: obviously that's cashmere with
1: Perculator.
0: so what exactly is juke and how did it evolve from house music remember kevin koval from episode
5: two you know so juke is a maybe a child of house music if house operates at about 120 beats per minute the children of house thought that their parents were moving a little slow of course and so they saw what their parents did and, you know, some of those older, dusty records, they, they're like, okay, well, you know, we could probably flip it a little bit different. And so they started to put the BPMs towards 160. And Juke is a dance and a style of music that emerges then in the 90s. So Juke, around 97, 98, it got coined...
1: Not necessarily by a record label, but just by the people. We started saying the party was juking, or it's juking over there to describe that it you know, the party's happening, it's going down. It, it's it's a good party in you know, that when you say it's juking.
0: Here's a cut from DJ Spin titled Bounce and Break Your Back. Bounce and break your back, bounce and
1: break your back, bounce and break your back, you bounce so hard, you break your back, girl. Bounce and break your back. Bounce and break your back. Bounce and break your back, you bounce so hard, you break your back, girl.
0: Juke is just as much a form of dance as it is music. And if you haven't seen it before, there's really nothing like it. You can hear and see Juke's influence on today's Chicago hip-hop in the music videos for Joey Perp's Aw Shit and Tokyo's Cleanup, both of which feature Chance the Rapper. With Juke comes the even more experimental footwork.
5: One of the dances then that emerges in the juke scene or around juke music is a kind of very fast, top rock, lindy hop, you know, multiple iterations of a thousand diasporic dances rolled into what has come to be known as his footwork. I have a poem where I say it's like Michael Jackson on amphetamine, you know, like James Brown jumping double dutch. It's like it's just the feet move so quickly that you feel like you're watching a video that is sped up.
1: We used to roll at the rink. We used to roll at the rink. Your big brother folk were. Your place is the juke. The rink was the place, but in that space and time, I was too young for you.
0: That's Chance the Rapper with Juke Jam. Outside of the clubs and the house parties, the Chicago house phenomenon was connected by radio stations like WBMX, which played house music 24-7.
3: WBMX, Oak Park, Chicago. Bad boy Bill on 102.7 BMX. The amount of people who were really touched by these record stations at the time and the people who were playing the music, the fur I'm talking about Farley, Jack Master Funk, Mario and Diaz, Kenny Jam and Jason. Frankie Hollywood. These are old guys, like pioneers. Mm -hmm. Scott Sills, you know, like the first guys in the radio playing. And the radio was so strong that every kid in Chicago wanted to be somebody from the radio.
0: And when it came to connecting the house scene during daylight hours, record stores were an essential gathering place for fans and DJs
3: alike. The record stores for me were a school, a place of education. I wasn't only learning myself about what I can sample and whatever, I was also sharing that information with anybody that came through the store with interest. Eventually, I started working at record stores. I worked at three different ones in a period of eight years. One in particular, last one being Gramophone Records, which is really famous. My mission was to help every single person that walked through the store. Mm -hmm. And if they came with a tape because they recorded on the radio, I would have a tape player stop, play their tape, and be like, oh, yeah, I know what that is. There you go.
0: Cindy Soto, who you met in the last episode, remembers Gramophone as a normal place to hang out with your friends after school.
2: Well, it was small, (laughs) but they had a DJ, you know, and it was just like you go and you dig for records and you meet your friends there and you bump into people. And it was like a normal space. You didn't think much of it. It It's just Gramophone.
0: One other factor that unites house and juke music with Chicago's greater musical story is the do-it-yourself approach that's a necessity in a town with no major labels and no established way of doing things.
1: When I was coming up, I never knew about pitching uh, a turntable, but I also had a pitch deck, a little portable recorder that you do voice recordings on, but it had pitch where you could go up and down with the pitch. So I take a record that had the actual songs on it, mix these two songs together, I slow down the record with my finger, speed it up with my finger. I put some tape or uh, toilet paper to slow it down and go back and forth mixing between a tape and a record.
0: Of course, it's a double-edged sword not having a major label.
1: To not have a big record label controlling what we do, it's been an uphill battle, but it's a good thing. I could have signed a contract that had just had me in perpetuity for the rest of my life for some of the greatest stuff I ever made, so... I, I, it's a gift and a curse. It's a, it's a good thing and a bad thing. We never had major record labels in Chicago that dealt the music out, but we had Dance Mania. And that was our biggest aspirations, to have our name on a poster somewhere in the city, some flyers, and have a record on Dance Mania. That was, like, that was it right there.
0: Without a major infrastructure responsible for pushing it to the masses, the global influence of Chicago dance music is even more incredible.
3: I went to Japan in 1995, first term, and when I went to a store, my, my shit was there, man. Yeah, yeah. And that gave me, like, so much hope. Mm. Cause I was like, holy shit, I did this in my mom's basement. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And here's my record in a store in Japan. Yeah. That was a big thing, man. Here's Marshall Jefferson's
0: house music anthem, Move Your Body, to take us into the break. Gotta have house. I hope you're digging this episode of Place & Sound. If you like what you hear and want us exploring other cities, then follow or subscribe to Place & Sound wherever you listen to podcasts. I recommend TuneIn for the best experience. And to hear my full-length interviews with DJ Sneak and DJ Spin, search TuneIn Conversation, available only on the TuneIn app. All right, let's get back to it. The 90s was a dynamic moment for music in Chicago. In addition to the dominant house scene, a vital jazz scene, and a young hip-hop scene, Chicago was home to an elaborate rock community that exemplifies the city's experimental do-it-yourself ethos.
6: My name is Ed Marzewski, and I call myself a successful failure.
0: Ed's an important figure in Chicago's current-day art scene. In addition to co-founding several local food and drink establishments, He's the director of a nonprofit that publishes a number of local magazines and runs the Co-Prosperity Sphere, an art gallery and performance space that houses community FM station Lumpen Radio. But before any of that, Ed was there in the 90s when Chicago's independent art scene was in full bloom.
6: How weird can Chicago get? How weird do you want it to get is the question. It's really unbelievable how... All these various strains of underground activity flourished in Chicago. There was a burgeoning uh, alternative or kind of nonprofit DIY art scene with people opening up art spaces. And of course, you know, the music scene was explosive and insane. It was beautiful.
0: That's a piece of the title track from Tortoise's 1998 album, TNT. Before blogs and the internet, zines, which are basically self-published magazines often made on copy machines, played a huge part of connecting underground subcultures, and especially music scenes.
6: There was a massive uh, explosion of those publications in the early 90s, and a lot of that covered music, independent music, underground music. This kind of music, independent journalism, independent publishing, blossomed and exploded.
0: Ed describes the vibrant indie music scene that centered around Chicago's Wicker Park neighborhood.
6: In the 90s, there's an incredible kind of secret history of what was going on in Wicker Park at the time. We had, you know, Drag City, Thrill Jockey, and some other independent labels here that were putting out incredible new forms of music that originated here, the so-called post-rock scene. Besides that, there was also this kind of Chicago no-wave scene of this kind of noise, experimental rock stuff as well that's kind of secret. Not many people know about that history.
0: Attracted to the city for the cheap cost of living and countless independent labels, these bands found a playground that took equal inspiration from 80s independent punk rock and Chicago's deep-rooted free jazz scene.
6: There was a time when Chicago's music scene was insanely experimental, vibrant. We had all these really crappy clubs playing music. You could see music, three different awesome shows every night of the week in Chicago at that time.
0: That's Liz Fair song Never Said, off her 1993 debut Exile in Guyville, which was inspired by her time in Wicker Park. Aside from commercially successful acts like Smashing Pumpkins, Wilco, and Tortoise, Chicago had some of the most experimental bands you could ever imagine.
6: There was a band called Math that played on homemade instruments. Bobby Kahn was like a rock, kind of groovy, glam rock band. There was the Flying Lutenbachers, And that was just like a satanic metal noise freakout. Quintron created his own instruments. He's created a weather music machine where he gets the temperature and the precipitation outside and it creates warlock music. Lord of the Yum Yum, he would sing classical songs in a rap fashion. Just weird, experimental weirdness, man. You would never have like one similar sound of music play at a show. It's always all over and weird as hell.
0: That noise you were listening to is the Flying Lutenbachers' 1996 song, Thoughts for Americans. In the 90s, as house music maintained the attention of audiences and independent rock swallowed Wicker Park, hip-hop's footprint in Chicago was small. Of course, you had hybrids like hip-house, ghetto house, and freestyle music. But when it comes to the mainstream rap that was creating beef between the East and West Coast at that time, the third-largest city in the nation was oddly silent. That being said, you had groups like Crucial Conflict, Do or Die, and Stony Island, heard here on their
3: 1996 cut, Slowly on the South Side.
0: And early on, you had pioneering MCs like Tongue Twister, better known today as Twista. Here's Arthur Turnbull. Tongue Twister was doing his
4: thing in 87, 88. The boy wound up in the Guinness Book of World Records for being the fastest rapper alive. Then doing a style that was literally 10 to 15 years ahead of its time. You can hear those
0: skills on Twister's 1992 track, Running Off at the Mouth. In my research, I also learned a little-known fact that Da Brat and Ludacris both grew up in Chicago before moving to Atlanta to make it big. The first rapper to break outside of the city in a real way was the Southside MC. Today, you know him as Grammy, Oscar, and Emmy award-winning artist Common. <laughs>
1: I stagger in the gathering, by pattern that be scattering, over the globe, my
0: that was his 1994 single, Resurrection, back when he went by the name of Common Sense. With his sharp lyricism and syncopated cadence, Common almost single handedly put Chicago hip hop on the map with his 1992 debut, Can I Borrow a Dollar?, which features a photo of him in a White Sox hat holding the word Chicago between maps of New York and Los Angeles. His 1994 follow-up, Resurrection, solidified him as one of the most dangerous lyricists in the underground, even
4: igniting a brief but intense beef with Ice Cube. Common is kind of the face of Chicago hip-hop because he presented himself as a Chicago MC and was able to get enough exposure that that caught on.
0: Cam Buckner remembers what Common's breakthrough meant for the city.
3: It it was a a huge sense of pride because Common in particular came at the game from a very different angle um, to I think what was popular at at that point in time. It also created a sense of, you know, we can do this too. It validated us as a region, as a community, um, and it was huge.
1: Your shot, come on. Come I met this girl when I was 10 years old And what I love most, she had so much soul But I'ma take her back, hoping that this shit stop. Cause who I'm talking about, y'all, is hip-hop. It's hip-hop. It's hip-hop. It's hip-hop
0: That was Common with I Used to Love Her At the start of the new millennium, just after Common had relocated to New York to work with the Roots, Jay Dilla and Erykah Badu in the Soulquarians, a young Chicago producer who needs no introduction was about to make his mark in a very big way. La
4: la la la, wait till I give my money right. I had a dream I could buy my way to heaven. When I awoke, I smit that on a necklace.
1: I told God I'd be back in a second. Man, it's so hard not to act reckless.
0: That was Kanye West with Can't Tell Me Nothing. In addition to being one of the biggest icons on the planet, Kanye West has had a game-changing impact on hip-hop which you can find entire podcasts dedicated to. Here are a couple clips from conversations I've had with Chicago
4: artists Cam Obie and Joey Perp. Kanye, like, one of my favorite producers. We're all, like, students of him.
1: And then Kanye, obviously, like, you can't say enough about what what he's provided for the world as far as, like, positive Mm -hmm. output, like, niggas be trying to play Kanye. Like, he hasn't changed the world. Like, come on, bro, (laughs) this dude. This was back then, and they were writing books about today. Mm -hmm. Kanye would be in a
4: lot of fucking books, bro.
0: Arthur Turnbull met Kanye back when he was still ghost producing in his mother's townhouse in the south suburbs of Chicago.
4: I met Kanye in his bedroom, but he was totally distracted because he sat at a workbench facing a window in his bedroom, and nobody rocked harder to Kanye's beats other than Kanye. Nobody could best Kanye on, dude, this beat is hitting. And in my mind, I'm like, okay, this dude is going to be a star. I mean, he's going to he's gonna make it. Because he believes in himself more than all of us collectively <laughs> believe in him. You know what I mean? And I'm saying that to illustrate how it was Kanye's drive and rational or irrational belief in himself that made him successful, that made him have the audacity to say that Chicago is a hip hop hub, a central location for hip hop.
0: The third hero of Chicago hip hop, who we have to mention, the man behind the curtain, if you will, is producer No-I-D, who, before producing recent classics for the likes of Jay-Z and Vince Staples, was responsible for Common's first three albums and for mentoring Kanye at the very beginning. Kanye and Common's breakthroughs finally planted a flag in their city soil as a national base for hip hop. And it provided a roadmap for the next generation, including rising Chicago R&B artist Raven Lanay.
2: But I think that they were like the first to show people of color that like, you can come from the hood mm-hmm. and do great things.
4: Kanye was able to really establish Chicago as a hip-hop hub in the same kind of way that Atlanta was a hip-hop hub between Organized Noise and Jermaine Dupri, how Houston was a hub with Jay Prince.
0: As huge as Kanye and Common's success was for Chicago hip-hop, it came at a price for the city's local rap scene. Remember how jazz artists like Louis Armstrong and Sun Ra got their start in Chicago, only to be drawn away to the coasts? That's also the story of hip hop in Chicago.
4: Well, if Chicago is such a rich musical foundational city, how come we're still discovering all these things about Chicago, right? And the answer to that comes with musicians leaving Chicago and needing to leave Chicago in order to be successful. And that really is indicative of hip hop in Chicago. You know, Maurice White is an excellent example with his brother Verdeen, founded Earth, Wind & Fire. And then it became this international phenomenon, but it's all Chicago music. But you don't really know that because you think Earth, Wind & Fire is in L.A. because they're making their records in L.A. Well, no, they are, but they're not. Well, what's L.A. have that Chicago doesn't have? What's New York have for jazz musicians that Chicago doesn't have? Opportunity and resources.
0: While well, you can't blame these artists, for taking opportunities that don't exist in her hometown. This exodus of the city's top talent has been a major blow for the scenes they left behind.
5: I mean, Common went to Brooklyn in in the early 90s, you know, damn right near after Resurrection. And that left a hole in the city because he was an integral part of Chicago's emergent hip hop community. And he had success and took that success elsewhere. It hurt the community. And every time somebody moves, and particularly somebody with the
4: weight of Kanye, who arguably has a greater weight than Common ever did in that way, there's an immense vacuum because nobody's there anymore that can be able
5: to take somebody, put them on their back, and and carry them forward. Kanye, I remember him passing out B tapes and trying to get on in the same, similar era. And once he, you know, then kind of packed up his stuff, went to New York, then went to LA. You know, it also hurt the community. We've seen that time and again outside of the genre of hip-hop. We've seen Chicagoans in, in different disciplines get on and then move on. Hmm. And I think, you know, some, some of the, the best and brightest have been sucked to the culture industries and the, and the power of the lure of the money that exists uh, on the coast.
0: As it turns out, Chicago's rise as a true hip-hop mecca was just around the corner. Yo, yo.
1: I'm trying to keep my flame. We on a ultralight beam. We on a ultralight beam. This is a God dream. This is a God dream. This is everything.
0: That was Kanye West with Ultralight Beam. Before we get out of here, I have to give it up for one Chicago rap hero who has never left this city and who stands out to me. And not just because we randomly bumped into him on the street when he was throwing a cheeseburger into a trash can.
3: I'm Sharkula, yeah, S-H-A-R-K-U-L-A, a.k.a. Alligator Booty, a.k.a. Thigmajiggy, a.k.a. Jack, a.k.a. City Sponge, a.k.a. Cherry Muffin Lover.
0: Known by many names, Sharkula is a local legend, and as two graffiti writers standing nearby put it.
1: If if you're (laughs) from Chicago and you don't know who Sharkula is, you're you're not from Uh, here.
0: Self-releasing, at least 35 projects since the year 2000. The bushy, bearded, backpack rapper has, for the last 20 years or so, wandered the streets of the city, talking to people and selling his music. He's also appeared on the Hannibal Buress podcast he's been written about in Forbes, and he's the subject of a full-length documentary titled Diarrhea of a Madman. Here's his song, School got? Fools.
3: Yeah, here we are. <laughs> Brr, fabulous, mousy, <lovely>, slutty, mermaid. <laughs>
5: Sharkula embodies the best of hip-hop entrepreneurialism. Hip-hop's insistence to make a way under the terror of capitalism. Sharkula has been literally on the streets in Chicago slanging mixtapes, CDs, since I can remember. You know, I think one of Chicago's best records is his Martin Luther King Jr. with Cheese record. You know, and he continues. I think he's ageless. I think that he is beyond a generation of Chicago hip hoppers because I think he's had a hand in all these generations. I'll randomly see him on the train, you know, it's like you're seeing a Chicago celebrity.
0: Before today's young hip hop generation was breaking down barriers and crossing red lines, Sharkula was out there first, passing out his homemade music to anyone who would want to listen.
3: I like uh, every neighborhood in Chicago. I grew up in the South Side. One of my favorite places in South Side is my grandma's block, 96 in Indiana. All of us would gather up, either on a train or in the whip, a.k.a. the car. We'd go up northwest or far south or wherever and just dance and meet people and realize that there was more to life than just that block.
0: The more I talked to various Chicagoans who all know and love Sharkula, I realized he might be the best symbol the city has for itself.
2: Oh, man, who doesn't know Sharkula, right? And he's one of those figures that it's like... it. Not seeing him around reminds me of how much we've changed as a city. We used to bump into him in every part of the city. He is just like a huge teddy bear. He's funny. He wants to hug you. He wants to laugh. He embodied what I think all of us were at the time, right? We were discovering ourselves and trying to like build this art and support local artists and be accepted for who we are. And how we were raised, and, you know, feel welcomed in our own city. Like, he didn't care where he'd go, who he talked to, who he, you know, like, just A an amazing piece.
3: human Lack being. Not my top spices. Word mouth,
0: That's Sharkula on Church's Chicken. On the final episode of Place and Sound, we get to the heart of today's bubbling rap scene, exploring the music, community, relationships, and politics of the artists repping the city and changing the hip-hop game as a whole. Place and Sound is created by TuneIn and hosted by yours truly, Anthony Valadez. Our executive producer is Charles Raggio. The podcast is written by Ryan Pinkert and produced by Jenner Pasqua sound engineered and edited by Kevin Kurugian, with additional support from Frank Espar and Andrew Broadhead.